Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hi, I'm Jed Bodwin, and I live in Wichita, Kansas. I am a Patreon supporter for Creative Control. I discovered Creative Control some years ago, I think maybe while looking for interviews with Tommy Stinson of The Replacements, and uh, I stumbled across this conversation that Vish had with Tommy Stinson that was really insightful. Vish held his own. I think Tommy can be a little bit of a difficult interview at times, and it went really well, and it really uh, got into some areas that I wasn't expecting, and I thought, gosh, I have to listen to more of this guy and his podcast. Sometimes I'm not necessarily a fan of the music or musicians that uh, Vish will have on the show, but I always appreciate their creative process a little bit more. And uh, more times than not, though, it does lead me to uh, finding a new musical artist that I'm interested in or to think a little bit differently about maybe some artists whose work I've overlooked. So, Go ahead, and if you've been waiting at all to support Vish and Creative Control, now is probably the best time to do it. I know as a public radio employee here in Kansas, listener-supported broadcasting, whether it's podcasts or radio itself, really isn't a thing of the past. It's actually very much a thing of both the present and the future. So, yay Vish, yay Creative Control. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, Please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Lee 
Ronaldo and Steve Shelley are both iconic and prolific musicians who respectively call New York City and Hoboken, New Jersey home. Ronaldo is a founding member of Sonic Youth, forming the band with Thurston Moore and Kim Gordon in the early 1980s and playing with different drummers until Shelley joined them as a permanent member in 1985. The band altered the course of underground music and remained a quartet until Jim O'Rourke joined them in 1999, and when he left in 2005, he was replaced by Mark Eibold of Pavement until Sonic Youth ceased performing and recording together in 2011. Their final 10 years as a band are explored via a new album of rarities called In Out In, a collection of five songs recorded in places like their Echo Canyon studio at a sound check and at one of their homes. In Out In is out via three-lobed recordings on March 18th, 2022, and it prompted Lee and Steve to join me for a wide-ranging chat about legalization and dispensaries, the Beatles documentary Get Back, what Jim O'Rourke and then Mark Eibold each brought to the Sonic Youth dynamic, why In Out In exists, and some history about the songs therein, how much they miss playing in this band, their most memorable Sonic Youth eras, and what their last decade together was like. That time they played the song 100% with the world's most dangerous band, on Late Night with David Letterman, plans for more Sonic Youth Deluxe reissues and releases, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you, who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control, with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and very friendly staff who will help you with all your music collecting needs, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca. Plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 673 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Lee Ronaldo and Steve Shelley of Sonic Youth, with your host, me, Vishkana. Hi, Lee. How's it going? Very good. How are you, Vish? Good to, good to speak to you again. Yeah, it's been a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were talking about Envirus Times just a couple of months ago. Nice to have you back. It's always a, a great honor and pleasure to speak with you, Lee. Thank you so much for same, uh, making same. time for me again. Yeah. And uh, someone new to the show, but someone I admire greatly as a drummer and as a drummer myself, I should say, and, and just as a person. Steve Shelley, are you there? Hey, Vish. Yes, I'm here. Thanks, thanks for being here. It's really an honor. I've long wanted to have you on the show as well. How's it going? It's it's going uh, as well as it can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I can imagine. So, Steve, where in the world are you as we're speaking? I'm at home in in Hoboken, New Jersey. New Jersey. How are things in Jersey? Well, it's um, <laughs> it's opening up, so that's sort of nice. But um, you know, uh, you want to be cautious as uh, as we start all mixing again. So uh, who knows? Yeah, the trepidation is definitely there. Lee, are you in New York, I'm guessing? I am. I'm in downtown Manhattan. Yeah. Um, 
things are you know things are okay here we were talking about the the truckers uh, up up in canada and <laughs> yeah <laughs> we've, we've got our, we've got the same contingent here uh kicking around but steve i think uh weed becomes weed's going to be starting to sell in your state uh this this week or this month <laughs> oh is it really like that <laughs> yeah they're starting to open up really open up <laughs> yeah they've le- it's legal in new york is that correct lee it's legal in New York and New Jersey, but uh, the shops are going to start opening in New Jersey supposedly this week or next week. They're nowhere near it in New York, I think. That's yeah, it took what I'm a, reading anyway. It took about a year for it to get going. Um, yeah, because I think we yeah. had the election a year ago on that. Yeah, you know, it, same in New York. There's a narrative here that I was surprised by, uh, in that some people were obviously celebrating the legalization. Uh, but there's another thing that's occurred with gentrification, which is all these store, these shops open up, right? The stores, the, yeah. what are they called? The, uh, what are they called? There's dispensaries. A name. Dispensaries. dispensaries. Sorry. I was, was going to yeah. say, I was going to say something else. But, and so it's a what, pseudo medicinal name. <laughs> that's right. It's a dispensary. <laughs> so what's been yeah. pointed out by some people is like, wait a minute. Now they're, le- now it's like official. They're trying to keep us in a daze. They're trying to keep us kind of unfocused. <laughs> and I was like, oh. I never thought of that. Like there's a rapper here named Cadence Weapon who has a whole song about like the neighborhood's gone. All the clubs are gone. All the things to do outside are gone. Like they shut them all down. You can't play music, but dispensaries everywhere you turn, like a convenience store. Are they trying to keep us sort of sedated? Like, I don't know if you have any take on that. Lee, what do you think? Well, we've had alcohol for that from the 30s. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So, they're, it's probably true of both. Yes, well, that's true. <laughs> you know, John, John Lennon sang about it in 1970 in uh, Working Class Hero. <laughs> so, yeah. it's, it's. Keep it's, you it's, doped with religion, sex, and TV. That's correct. I never thought exactly. of that. Exactly. Yeah. Good quote. Yeah. 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 That's true. Yeah. No, no, there's certainly a, a side of that, but it's self inflicted. So, yeah. it, you know. Yeah. What are you going to do? We're just, we're all on our own. Yeah. I think they're useful. Um, I I think it's good to bring it into, into society. And, uh, there's a lot of work to do for what's happened to people before now, you know, selling pot or getting busted for it. But, um, I think it's a good thing overall. I wasn't arguing either way. I just wanted to bring it up because it's just something (laughs) I never thought. Everyone here, as you guys know, Canada legalized it. uh, I I think ahead of you guys. Now I'm getting. Now we're getting the kind of blowback of like, what are we doing Mm -hmm. exactly? Why did we agree to this? You know. Anyway, it's just some. Everyone's trying to think about everything all the time. I think it's good. Yeah. Overthinking. Well, I think that that blowback is, uh, that blowback is, is, is good to keep in mind. You know, I think it's great that it's not an illegal thing since it's already here everywhere and everybody's using it. Why make it a criminality kind of thing? Absolutely. But that's, that, those, uh, who, who was the rapper singing that song? His his name is Cadence Weapon. He's been around uh, quite a while, but he recently won the, uh, our prestigious, uh, Polaris Music Prize, uh, last year. He, his his album. Yeah. I can send you some links. Uh, Lee is, uh, as I'm want to do. I'm sometimes. sure my son that uh, studied in Toronto that has actually now a, a weekly two hour radio show up there yeah. that he's playing an eclectic mix. He probably knows uh, Cadence Weapon. Yeah, I'll Cadence Weapon is from Edmonton, where I am now, but he lives in Toronto these days. He has for some time, and he was like the poet laureate of Edmonton and very uh, storied career. Was on Anti Records and uh, you know just. But mm. yeah, he's really outspoken and finding his voice. Anyway. I I, pr- cool. I appreciate uh, that we got to plug Cadence Weapon. He's a friend of mine too, so I like that. <laughs> so this is really monumental for me because uh, Lee, you referenced the fact that we spoke about in Virus Times uh, in the fall. I want to say it was of twenty twenty one. 
I yep. subsequently went on this massive Sonic Youth kick uh, where it was like a bender. And I couldn't stop hunting down vinyl that I had been missing. And it turned out, I looked at my collection, I'm like, I'm missing a fair amount. So all the SYR series came into my hands, you know, through the illicit internet. I just was getting it on mint condition copy. It was great. And then I was listening in chronological order while making my kids excellent making my kids lunches so it became a little awkward they were like what is happening in the living room papa it was very <laughs> loud and crazy anyway this is all very exciting to me this release is exciting to me i want to begin i framed it for people who heard the intro so 2000 to 2010 is the era reflected on this ep correct me if i'm wrong steve that's about right right mm-hmm. that's correct yep. okay first decade of first yeah. decade of the new of the 21st, 21st century, century. This decade, to my recollection, marked a period of significant change for Sonic Youth. New members kind of came and went. Uh, new spaces, studios were explored. That's part of the narrative. Um, let's begin with Steve. Steve, how would you characterize this particular era, this decade of the band, compared to others that you were involved in? Does, does it stick out and stand out for you in any particular way? Hmm. Well, I think I think it's tough to to characterize it like that as a, as an era. Um, I mean, it, it's sort of overshadowed by, by the band stopping. Uh, right. So, um, so it's, you know, it is leading up to what happened. Um, I, I'm really at a loss for that one. I'm and sorry. I will say, I will appreciate, I can totally appreciate it. Cause as we all know, sometimes uh, what you, what is now history, you're just living through. And you're not thinking, exactly. you're not thinking about it yeah. being the end of something or a yeah. difference. Um, yeah, it's much easier to look back on on the '80s and and you know call that an era because a lot of first happened for me during yes, that era. era. Um, you know, joining the band and and all you know, first record, first tour, first time to Europe. That that's a much easier um, period of time. Right, but right. the 2000s is uh, is difficult. Um, maybe uh, maybe this record helps helps define it a little. Well, bit. to your point, you were the newest member of the band. It's hard to say that it's been so long but it's uh, so long ago that you joined <laughs> lee do you have any perspective on where i'm coming from with that question again knowing full well as you're living through something you're not thinking about it but as you ponder it with again i mentioned new members coming and going as well um does it stick out for yep. you particularly i do have a i do have a yeah i do have a, a pretty clear perspective on it but i just want to say first about your your deep dive into sonic youth i think steve and i are both the kind of people that occasionally get that bug of like, you, you know, you're deep diving into someone and you just go deeper and deeper. Recently, we've been going crazy about our mutual Beatles fanaticism because of the Peter Jackson film and all that. And I am deep diving. You know, I love that you said you were doing them in chronological yeah. order because every once in a while, I think we talked about this maybe the last time when I was doing it with Kanye West music, but every once in a while, I like to do that with an artist I'm unfamiliar with. Or even if ones that I, I love and start at the beginning and just listen in order. I'm, I'm about to start that for the Beatles radio session. Oh, nice. Their BBC sessions and, and other things like that. I've, I'm, I've got on the way to me through some channels, like the complete set of all that stuff. And, you know, they released a lot of it, but they released it, uh, like out of chronological order. You know, the, those BBC discs that they release are here's something from March 63. Here's November 64, here, you know, back and forth. But I wanted to, after getting deep into them right now, I wanted to get into this, uh, really see the progression. And that's what happens when you do that in chronological order. You gain a certain 
perspective. Okay. Enough I just of that. I will only I will you know, only interject to say that I have both BBC volumes on vinyl right there. I can't reach them right now to show you, but I get, I I go yeah. deep on those too, those sorts of things as well. And and I not to make this a get backathon. I I I love that thing and I I still need to finish yeah. my third run through of the whole thing. I yeah, I, I really here. enjoyed it and yeah. it felt like just I watched the whole thing twice and the rooftop a couple of times. What more a weird times. thing to but, come uh, out while we, like, for those of us who have played music, like, I, I imagine we have a different relationship to it because it's like being in a jam space. It's like being in a practice space with, and in yeah. this case, it's guys mm-hmm. just trying to, like, these icons that you just didn't, I didn't assume, again, a very strange period for them. There, I will say, there was part of me, it's like, wouldn't it be great if this film was about Revolver? Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> like, what? Imagine being a fly in the wall for that. Like, yeah, this is like them yeah. kind of breaking up. And that would to be unbelievable. It. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry. I, I not to make it a get backathon. I'm with you. Please. Uh, no, what were you going to say? You, about- when you do the the show, the Deep Beatles Dive show with whatever guests, call us up. <laughs> I will for um, sure. <laughs> you know, I really see. We were we were together for 30 years, and I really see the, the breakdown as being 10 year periods. Yeah. The first, you know, the 80s stopped when after we made daydream nation and we signed a major label contract the 90s were kind of the major label period with nirvana happening and you know us making some bigger more expensive records and playing that game and then the the 2000s the last decade were more about for one thing turning our focus back towards the underground and forgetting about the fact that we were, even though we were on a major label for most of the the 2000s as well, forgetting about that, starting our own record label. We had our own studio going. We had Jim O'Rourke kind of come late uh, 90s and leave early 2000s. Then Mark Eibold come in. We were briefly a quartet again. People were having a lot of outside interests, I would say, in the, in the 2000s that changed the character of the band. And Thurston and Kim moved out of town, which also changed the character of the band. So there were a lot of, you know, the 90s were a really focused time for us in, in a way. You know, the first half we were, we were, we spent a lot of time you know, playing the major label game, releasing Goo and Dirty and Experimental Jet Set and playing really big shows. And then we found, you know, with Washing Machine, we founded our own studio and we started to really focus, you know, it kind of like the the, the sessions for Get Back when they're in Abbey Road, when they're in, uh, in their own place there. Yeah. yeah, when they're in the Apple studio. Like we had our own studio that became our absolute clubhouse where... You know, the Sonic Youth was never shy of like working hard. We were, we, we put in our hours, you know, we'd come in every day to this place and either hang out or play or tape. We had the means at that point to tape everything we did in the quality that we loved, the, the same quality we used for the records we preferred. Yeah. And it was a really heady time for us of experimentation and, you know, having our own tape machines and everything and, and a really permanent studio space and crew around us. And the, the 2000s, when all of this stuff was made, were kind of the culmination of some of that stuff. But it was also the beginning of this filtering towards the end, I guess you would say. You know, people were a little dis- more distracted, I would say, yeah. in the 2000s by other things going on. Which is not to say we still didn't give our full to the band and, you know, put our all into everything we did. But we, we took more breaks to do other stuff, I would say. Yeah, I remember, Lee, that we would, I think we first connected in the 2000s for interviews, ostensibly about Sonic yeah. Youth stuff, but then you would release like a, a poetry book about spam email. 
And so that was the premise yeah. of an interview. Yeah. And so, yeah I, yeah, I could see that. And I mean, it felt like the band was always uh, full of people who were interested in all sorts of things. So it didn't surprise me. But yeah, in retrospect, I can see what you're saying. People were exploring different things and that yeah. can straight. I mean, that's what happened with the Beatles. Yes, exactly. In that that's era exactly. that we're watching on TV. I think what we're you trying know, to establish know, here thing. is that you guys were the Beatles. Like that's, that's you guys were just well, like the Beatles in almost every way. It took us 30 years to do what they did in, in seven or something <laughs> like that, but we probably released almost the same amount of albums in, in those two periods. But you know, there, I think there comes a point when your whole life revolves around this group mind thing, this band thing yeah. where you want to start to have a little something where you feel like, okay, if I get applause for this, they're applauding me. They're not applauding this entity, you know, that's bigger than <laughs> yes, me, sure. you know. You do something on your own, you get recognition on your own. You do something with the band, you always get recognition as the band, in a sense. And I think people started to feel the pull to just like, you know, we had desires that were not group desires. And, uh, you know, we always used, all through our career, we we had outside interests and we always used those to bring fresh ideas to the to the group and that that didn't change at all through any of these periods you know any everything we did together or separately were like uh fodder for discussion you know oh you 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 made a book you 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 read a, you you read for a movie or you know yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, it was yeah. you know you're making clothes it all became part of the 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 stuff we talked about and absorbed that went into what we did steve hearing how lee has kind of crystallized that era does that help you kind of ponder it further in any way like does it give you any perspective on i guess my original question and does, does it make sense in any way uh sure i guess it's just something it doesn't wrap up so easily for me so i, I hear yeah. i hear what lee has to say but um i don't know it was it was <laughs> it was all that and different too so it's I get it. It's hard to it's sure. Hard to, sure, that's just my yeah, perspective yeah. on it. You know, when hit with this question, yeah, and it's hard to distill an era. Like I said, I've said it a few times. Like we're all just living our lives, and then you look at your phone, and you're like, oh my god, ten years have passed, and like <laughs> I didn't even know it. Yeah. But to to further uh, maybe to to just expand upon what Lee was talking about, Steve, did you have different interests in that time? I know you have interests in you know record label kind of stuff and. I, yeah. I gather you're kind of archival guy these days, maybe. Uh, did you have other interests in that period? I did. And I was playing with other people and, and keeping busy. But but I, I think my my focus was still on the group. And it was sometimes difficult when other things would be going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Lee says, everybody had different interests and, and were searching for other things. Sometimes, sometimes that was hard. I guess that's all I'm trying to say. I, uh, I don't mean to pry too much, uh, Steve, but, um, uh, I know like for me, like knowing this was on my calendar, this meeting was on mm -hmm. my calendar. It's emotional for me. I have an emotional connection to you guys and this band. Has it been difficult for you since Sonic Youth? I, I'm sorry. I know the answer is probably obvious, how difficult has it been for you since Sonic Youth ceased activity? You, you, Steve, personally, because I know I've had numerous conversations with Lee um, about his various projects. I've mm -hmm. talked to Thurston a couple times. Kim's been busy. How's it been for you? Yeah, yeah, it's it really varies, you know, from from time to time. But but sure, it's been difficult. I think when it first happened, I didn't realize how much things were going to change, and Lee had the dust going right right when the announcement happened. So, 
so Lee and I and and we're, we're working with other people and it felt sort of um, normal. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 That just Lee and I were still working and, you know, and just Kim and Thurston weren't, weren't there, yes. but, um, but it is, it is difficult. It's strange, but you know, we had a really great time together for the, the you know, the years that we were together and um, you, you tend to look at it and uh, be thankful for the, for, yeah. for all that time together, you know, and, and like Lee said, you know, the, the Beatles together for seven years, you know, we, I was almost in the group for 30 years. So that's, that's, that's unheard of in, in rock and roll terms. So we really, we really lucked out. And also people were still interested in records that we released 30 years into our career, which doesn't always happen. And, you know, we're talking to you today about uh, yeah. some archival records. So, you know, there's yeah. a lot of, um, you know, things that we feel very fortunate about, but, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it sucks not playing with Sonic Youth. It's, it's, you know, I miss yeah. it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the band is still a present thing for us. Just the fact that we're releasing this record, as Steve says, and talking to you right now. And, you know, we'll always be in Sonic Youth on some level mm-hmm. or other. There's, you know, the last 10 years we haven't played or worked together collectively, but there's always, you know, uh, business things going on, songs used in movies or archival stuff mm-hmm. like this. So, you know, I, I think once you're, once you're involved in something on that level, you're, you're almost never, uh, never out of yeah, it. It's hard really. to get out. You know, Sonic Youth <laughs> is still a living thing for us to some degree, even if we're not active. You know, we, currently. yeah. And I appreciate that. And I was being, we were being, or maybe I was being a little facetious about the Beatles comparison earlier. And bear with me if this is embarrassing for either of you. But there's a whole generation of people of my ilk who saw Sonic Youth, heard Sonic Youth, and dressed differently. It wasn't just that we attacked our instruments in a way, like thinking, oh, if they can do this, like maybe I can try and do this. Like the noise and the and the playing forever, like all these sort of freedom, like the freedom you instilled in some a whole generation of people and the way you aesthetically looked and talked and 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 behaved i will say <laughs> i think of this as with the beastie boys as well there there are certain entities i think that shifted the culture in very subtle ways the way the beatles did where everyone they were leaders i think about how the culture was going to talk and behave and think about each other on an empathetic level and so sorry again i don't mean to embarrass you i i personally view sonic youth in that same sphere of influence and i know i'm not alone have at that gentlemen is that is that something you can sink your teeth into you know obviously not on the scale of the beatles it was a little bit more private than that obviously but i would agree otherwise yes you know i i see the comparison you know and you know the funny thing about um about a group i always say you know a group is a, a band isn't really a group to you and um, um, you know when you know all the names of the players you're looking at a group yeah. you know and we know john paul george and ringo and you know i think we fell into the same category we weren't a lead singer yes. with some guys behind or guys and girls behind behind him or her uh you know it was it was a collective thing and i think that's part of its power and part of you know part of the comparison to the beatles three singers yep. you know th- lots of i think there are some I, I i know the velvet underground comes up too obviously to me that's an obvious one sure. and i'm still reeling by from how great that film by the way that velvet underground documentary speaking of yeah, lots yeah. of great music movies 
uh, of late, uh, hearkening back to different eras. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to let Steve, Steve, yeah. do you want to have any opportunity to speak to my, I think Lee just validated my theory. What do you make of, what do you make of that? <laughs> I, I think it's very flattering, but it's, it's something that I, 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 I wouldn't choose to, to discuss. <laughs> I appreciate that. I am speaking probably of underground culture, particularly like obviously the Beatles is an mm-hmm. overground phenomenon, but as I say, in my mind, Beastie Boys, Sonic Youth, Fugazi, like these are just things that have permeated the underground and influenced people almost intangibly. Yeah, it was a movement for sure. It was a movement. Yeah, that's what I was getting yeah. at. Now, to get back to uh, uh, In Out In. So I was alluding to the fact that members came and went, and I think Lee alluded to Jim O'Rourke. So Jim O'Rourke and Mark Eibold of Pavement, were both brought uh, into the band uh, at various points in this in this era, and they both brought uh, different things to the band. I'm sure. I'm going to start with Lee on this one. Lee, what's your perspective on their respective roles and influence on the Sonic Youth framework, the unit as it was? Well, Jim was with us for like five years, from around '99 to '04 or '05, something like that. And, you know, we had known him before that. I made a record with him in 94 uh, up in Victoriaville, actually. He sat in with William Hooker and I up there. And I think Thurston knew him around that time. And, you know, he he was brought in. He'd worked with Kim on a he, – he recorded and mixed a record with Kim, one of the S Y R S, I think, the one right before ours. He had escaped from Chicago and was hanging out in New York and spending a lot of time with us in our studio – and we came to kind of an impasse on the New York City Ghosts and Flowers record. And we asked him if he would mix it. And this was the very beginning of Kim playing more guitar. So there were lots of songs without bass on them. So as a kind of matter of course, working on the record with Jim, he put bass on some of those songs. He started to add some of uh, his uh, synthy, his suitcase synthy uh, on a couple of them. And we immediately joked like, well, you know, be careful, Jim, you're going to have to join the band, you know, and go out and play with us on tour and stuff. And he did. And, and he came in immediately as a equal member, equal mm-hmm. share of, the, you know, we always wrote and published all our music collectively. And he became an equal share in all the writing on it and an equal member in profit sharing on the records and everything. And and it was very interesting that he became this uh that we went from a quartet, this long-standing quartet at that point, like maybe 15 years, to this quintet. Yeah. And it, it injected a new life into the band. Uh, one thing I want to say about both Mark and Jim's role is they were both heavy-duty vibologists <laughs> at a time when, like, they kept the energy and the good times rolling. And that was a really important role for both of them in the band. We loved being around them. It, you know, it was kind of like they were both our Billy Preston, if we keep talking about the Beatles. To I was going to say, like, yeah. You know, everyone was on their better behavior. Everybody was more engaged just by having someone that we really loved around. So they were both full of good times, you know. Yeah. But Jim's role was much more expansive than Mark's. Mark, Mark came in because, you know, after Jim left, we made Rather Ripped as a quartet again and did a bunch of shows that way. And it was definitely interesting 
to be a quartet again. But at that point, Kim had gotten really used to being free, freer on stage, free of playing an instrument and being able to dance around and put across the songs in a different way. And we missed that aspect of where we'd gotten to at that point. So we brought Mark in to sort of augment the, the, and also we were still doing a lot of songs with three guitars. So we wanted to have that bottom end back. So, mm-hmm. you know, Mark was a longtime friend. I mean, I think I met him in the very earliest days of moving to New York. He was in a band called Dust Devils before Pavement. And, um, well, that's that's maybe I've talked enough about it, but there's there's no, my no. perspective on those guys. No, I appreciate that, Lee. Uh, Steve, Lee mentions the bottom end. You're the drummer, so playing mm-hmm. with different bass players is going to potentially shift the dynamic. Two pretty melodic bass players, from my perspective, though. Uh, what what was your ta- what's your take on that? Playing with both of them and what they brought to the band. Well, that is is a good point. They, yeah. I think some of the, the the most successful stuff with with Jim was when he was playing bass and. Um, it's it's like in that period of the band we had two rhythm sections you know um or three if you count because sometimes thurston would play bass on a song and they all played very different from each other so it was it was a lot of fun when when uh when kim would move to guitar and jim would play bass and we'd have like sort of a, a different groove going and um i i enjoyed that a lot and um and mark um like like lee said just just connected on a lot of levels and um also, as Lee mentions, it was a lot of fun to have him there. And um, he and I seemed to share a lot of um, musical background, uh, maybe even um, e- even though Jim can relate to almost anything. Uh, Mark and I maybe clicked even a little bit, a little bit more. Yeah. Hard, hard to say. Yeah, you have a, a pretty you had a long history with pavement. I mean, from my perspective, I don't know if it was the first time I saw Sonic Youth. It might have been, but I attended the Lollapalooza 95 show in mm-hmm. Barrie, Ontario. Definitely the first time I saw Pavement. And, uh, so anyway, I know you have this relationship with those folks. I'm, I gather. And Mark would have played with Kim and Free Kitten, as I recall. Does that make sense? Am I misremembering yep. that? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. So you have this yeah. social, your, the Pavement Sonic Youth social network was, is, was pretty strong. Is that fair to say, uh, Steve? Uh, somewhat. Yeah. 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 We, we weren't Definitely. like, they were a little bit younger than us uh, as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we, we did do shows together, but, um, but I, I wouldn't say they were our best friends or anything. <laughs> bit of a generational <laughs> divide. Lee, do you ever, yeah, yeah, a little, <laughs> Lee, do you ever, bit, we were the well, older we brothers. Admired, we, yeah. We admired them a lot. I mean, I always say they were my favorite band of the nineties and they truly were. I mean, I love them head and heels over everybody else. I just thought they were amazing. Yeah. And, and we did a lot of shows with them and they were on Lollapalooza the year we played as well. So that was another long tour we did with them outside of taking them on our tours. We loved what they were doing yeah. back then. They were so, so ramshackle. They were in so many ways so different from us, you know, and that was part of it. You know, they lived in different cities. It's like, how do you do that and, and be in a band together for starters? You know, we, we had to live within a mile of each other and show up every day at the studio, whether we were making a record or not. It was, you know, but I, I totally love them. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of theirs as well and, and got to see them a bunch. And, uh, luckily, uh, as we're speaking, I have an, uh, advanced copy of this new Terror Twilight. Uh, expanded uh, edition and it's incredible. They've resequenced it and yeah. all the extra songs are great. So, yeah, I'm a huge. They resequenced the record. They did a thing where, yeah, Nigel Godrich had a different sequence idea in mind than the one they went with, 
And I'm still wrapping my head around it. Interesting. It, yeah. So they've, uh, at least on the edition, I, it's probably a thing where you can get it in all sorts of different sequences. But the mm, one I, sure. the one they sent me is, I think his order. And it just, I feel like spit on a stranger's last or something. Like it's just all over the place. Anyway, sorry. We can talk about that. I wonder if they didn't use his order because of record company pressure or something like that or their own internal. Yeah, you just I, I feel like it's probably part of the narrative. Have to read up I, on that. It's not out till uh April or something like that, so I need to, I've just been having it on and listening to it and it's a slightly alien mm. experience for me like, oh, you know when someone resequences a record that you've lived with for so long, you're like, "Oh, what's mm-hmm. going on? What's happening?" Anyway, uh I like the idea of it. It's pretty radical. That's one thing none of these reissues usually do yes. is resequence, you know? I mean, I think actually to bring up the Beatles again. I think when they did "Let It Be Naked," there's a little bit of a resequencing. They yeah, added, yeah. "Don't Let Me Down" and stuff yeah. like that. But um, that's interesting. Yeah, no, it's cool. Every once in a while, I interviewed Chris uh, Chris Novoselic about the uh, Novoselic rather about the In Utero reissue uh, that came out in 2013, and he made a point of saying, "Yeah, I heard this like Doors' greatest hits album, and they remixed it. Like they just." They've pushed the faders up on some things that weren't there and down on others. And so he got Steve Albini to do that with In Utero. And when I was listening to him, like, it's a radically different experience to hear these different guitar parts. Yeah. There's a, there's a mix of it where you're just like, it's totally a different album. Uh, the, the skeletons, the the skeletons the same, but the innards are whatever. So anyway, it's, it's cool. Anyway, I want to get to, uh, I'm trying to stay focused here, Mr. Beatles. And, uh, it's throwing me <laughs> off. No, I'm happy to, I'm happy to talk about all these things. So I want to ask about what prompted the release of, of In, Out, In. Um, let's start with that. I'm, I'm curious about five songs, uh, for one thing, cause I'm like, there's gotta be more than this. This is amazing. There's gotta be more. That's my greedy fan, mm. uh, impulse. But, uh, Steve, I want to go to you first. Uh, what do you reckon? I know Lee, uh, spearheaded some of this. So I, we will go to Lee, of course, but, Steve, what's your take on it? Why why now for In Out In? Well, it was simply because uh, Corey at Three Lobed invited us to do something. Two of these songs were on a box set that he put out about 10 years ago. And that box set has been long out of print. And we never made uh, the Sonic Youth songs available on digital or as a standalone. And that's, that's basically what Corey wanted to do, was make a standalone of these two songs. And he asked us, uh, I, I, I guess he, he approached Lee and asked if we might contribute something or be up for the idea. And we, of course, we were up for both. We, um, we started searching for some songs that would go with the two from, from, uh, from the box. And uh, so eventually the sequence came together and, um, you know, it took about a year and a half of, of trading uh, files and emails and ideas and, uh, you know, and getting to this point. So did the Steve? Did the whole band have input on on this release? Yeah, yeah. Everybody everyone, was involved. Yeah. I guess Lee and I spent a little bit more time on it, but but everyone was involved, and and Corey really made it happen. Okay, Lee. Anything to add further to uh, Steve's uh, explanation there uh, in terms of why what um, this is? You know, we've been kind of combing our vaults for rarities and and stuff to release mainly focused around the Bandcamp site and so Steve and I had put together a few collections of rarities and these are kind of culled from there as he said they'd never been on digital or uh, or on vinyl before and 
you know, I think mainly it comes down to we, we all really like Corey. We've done different projects with him over the years. It seemed easy and fun. And that's really the spirit of why Sonic Youth did anything, you know, back when we were together was like, this sounds like a cool idea. And it doesn't really have to go too much further than that, you know? Yeah, fair enough. So, Lee, is there, so these, I, I asked about the five songs versus, it's 45 minutes at five songs. So it's not like lacking in substance or anything like that. But it, it, it suggests, I, from what you're both saying, it suggests there's more such material. That could see the light of day. Is that fairly? There is. And a lot of it is on Bandcamp right now. If, if okay. people want to go and look at it, there's a series called Rarities there that are a couple of them are live and a, a couple of them are studio or one of them is studio. And mm-hmm. there, so there, there is, there is more. I have to say that, you know, we were not a band like you hear with some bands. Oh, we took 40 songs to the studio and chose the best 10 or 12 or whatever. We always did that kind of elimination along the way. Usually by the time we got to the studio to make our albums, if we had one leftover song, it was a lot. Often we just didn't. We just made the right amount of songs. So there's not a lot of different songs that nobody's heard in the vaults, but there's a lot of different takes of the songs that we did release, radically different takes, and there's a lot of instrumental stuff from studio sessions you know we were recording everything some of them became syr records but there's a lot of instrumental uh stuff in in our vaults and a ton of live stuff as well yeah among the things i tracked down because i had the single versions i'm just glancing over here i got the daydream nation goo and dirty vinyl box sets with the yeah the deluxe it's a it's amazing like i love these things so I guess again, fans get greedy, but the more you can give us, the better we we'll do. We do have feel. some <laughs> stuff like that in the pipeline. We've yeah. been working for a long time on a deluxe like those of Sister, and right now we're kind of focusing more on a, uh, a similar thing for Washing Machine. We've we've got some things like that in the pipeline. You know, we've got a long-standing release that we've wanted to do of a collaboration we did with the French uh, chanteuse Brigitte Fontaine oh, yeah, yeah. and her partner Areski. We we were. F- very friendly with her in, I don't know, in the period when Jim was in the band. So early 2000s, I guess. And we did a concert with her in Paris at the Pompidou Center that we have got a great video and audio of. And mm-hmm. we recorded two songs for her release around that time, her latest record, and three other uh, tracks. We've got this whole thing ready to go that basically her record company has been preventing from seeing uh-huh. the light of day. So, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff. There's There's... Uh, SYR sessions, if you will, with Nels Klein and Mats Gustafsson that have never been mixed and, and properly released. So there's stuff, there's a lot of stuff like that. Oh, right. You know? That's awesome. Almost everything besides like other songs that we wrote with words. Right. Okay. Cool. I'm, I'm excited to hear that. Um, Steve, is there anything about this particular material that we're hearing now that surprised you? I know some of it is recorded. Not makeshift, but some of it's recorded a little bit better, if you will, than others. Some of it's recorded in like a house. Some of it's in a, at a live yeah. setting. Some of it's in the studio. Is there anything about this, these particular songs, the five songs we're alluding to? Is anything about it that surprised you per se? Hmm. Um, n- no, there, I mean, there's, like Lee said, there's so much of this that, um, you know, it was just kind of combing through and, and finding things that, um, that felt like a, they'd make a good record. But um, surprising wise, uh, not so much. 
it's, it's just another, you know, another day with what, what we were doing. Um, definitely remember the basement session from w- which the one tune came, came from, uh, basement contender, basement contender. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, they were just very informal sessions and, and usually in those, in those, those sessions, Lee is in, in, uh, charge of the recording and, uh, you know, whether we're using a digital recorder or a four track yeah, or yeah. an eight track, you know, but that's, that's about all I have to add on that. Lee, are these like, they seem very free improvised. Pe- they seem like pieces of band when they've got everything warmed up and set up, they just start playing. Some of it has that aesthetic. Is it, are, are these like a third take of something or is it pretty much you guys jamming, so to speak? Well, it's a bunch of different things, you know, um, and I, I was just looking to see if I could find the track list and what where they're each attributed to because, you know, th- these are really attributable to the fact that we had our own studio right. in this period. You know, we'd made a few of our albums there already. Like, um, the, there's one song that started as a sound check uh, improvisation or, I don't know, something, a little focused piece between Steve and Kim when Thurston and I were still out record shopping and late to sound check, they were, they were playing, working on something. And um, uh, our sound man at the time, Aaron Mullen, recorded it. But then we took that back to the studio and layered on top of it. So we were working on a, a live a sound check, live tape and layering stuff in the studio, which was you know, we would not have been able to do that otherwise. And there's one song, there's the basement song, but there's another song, I think, that's from what we called the NoHo Furniture Sessions, which we recorded in Thurston and Kim's living room in Northampton, right. where we actually brought the the eight. We still had an eight track tape recorder at that point, a reel to reel, and we brought it up there and set it up. And you know, I was kind of mining the minding the recorder while we were rehearsing a batch of songs that went in in a skittery direction and didn't really end up on on albums but uh you know we were exploring some new material and it was in this period when you know Steve and I would make the 3 hour drive up to Northampton and spend 4 or 5 days and that was the periods in which we would work as opposed to you know working week in and week out when we all lived in New York so I see I will say there's a just getting back to get back there's a lack of funny voices uh, I thought there would be more funny voices uh, when I heard this thing, you know? Like, that would be exciting. There's plenty of funny voices in the vault, I assure you. I, I you actually know, wondered, one, I, I, we, we seldom got a, outside of music videos or TV appearances, the goofy side of Sonic Youth is like, you know, I think album artwork, you get it sometimes. But it got, I feel like this was a fairly serious post-9-11 decade. Like, I have a sense memory of road managing a band in america for three weeks and i it was those days where i brought i i brought that those binders of cds remember those i don't sure, know if yeah. you ever had those on the road oh yeah but, but i had new i had new york city ghosts and flowers and i just remember feeling like a canadian in america this was before 9-11 this fall 2000 but it just felt very american like to hear that record and to hear the poetics of it and we were around new york at the time yeah. And then we did another subsequent small tour and I had Murray Street. So that was after. And mm-hmm. it just, it's weird how for me, and again, it's my perspective, the music you made at this time is really of its time in a way for me. Like I think of 9-11 about like New York City, Ghosts and Flowers. I worry that I'm going to get senile and forget that it happened before 9-11 because it has a 9-11 feel. And yeah. it has like a New York is in a fragile state feel. And then Murray Street, of course, Really exemplifies that. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. uh it's interesting. It never occurred to me before that 
both of those records in sequence are such New York centric records. Yeah. I mean, New York City Ghosts and Flowers looking at the period before we were in New York, like 50s and 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, poetics going on in New York. And then the next one being centered on our place in, in New York, you know, when yeah. that, that record was, completed after 9-11 when we were finally allowed to go back to Murray Street. And so I guess somehow the the location of that record really, really made an impact on us enough to call the record Murray Street. You know, that's our Abbey Road in, in a sense, but to, <laughs> Absolutely. to keep with the Beatles uh, uh, metaphors. But I didn't realize in, that those two records are both like New York centric in, in sequence in, in a very specific way. You know, they're all New York centric in one way or another. It hit me uh, at the time. Uh, again, I'm revisiting. I was revisiting all of uh, those two in particular when I was going through them in order and it hit me on a very visceral level. Like it brought me right back. Um, again, Steve, I know it's hard to characterize any particular era, but just following up on what I'm saying, like, does this seem like a particularly serious mode of Sonic Youth's career, just in your demeanor, um, the way you attack songs? There were, you know, for those of us who grew up on goo and dirty, there were jokes like in the songs, like they were just jokes all over the place. Uh, right up to maybe up to washing machine even or something. And I, I don't mean to neglect anything, but um, I remember even a thousand leaves. I'm like, oh, things seem, seem serious. Like, does it did it feel serious at that point for the band? Yeah, there was always a. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we weren't we weren't making dead milkman records. You know? <laughs> no, no. But there was a sense of fun. Like, that's what appealed to me, too. Like. You know, and I, and I'm not saying it wasn't fun. It seemed fun. I saw shows yeah. in this era. I yeah. saw you guys at Massey Hall for crying out loud. Um, yeah, I, I just I think, don't think that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that spirit of fun ever left. I okay. mean, maybe there weren't yeah. so many jokey things on the records, or or maybe there are. You know, I'd have to really go back and yeah. look. But the, the, that sense of fun was always there with us. There was never, you know. Yeah, fair enough. I, this release feels like an extension of what I'm saying, though. It feels quite serious and artful and intellectual if you will oh i hate all the words i'm using i'm sorry guys yeah, i like artful i like artful uh, Artful's you know, nice. one of the pieces you know, one of the pieces another piece that i could cite as being a studio creation is the one um i'm not even sure which one it's called the one that's the soundtrack to the film by spencer tunic the the photographer who photographs seas of naked people in yeah. public settings and we made that specifically for this short film that uh was being put together by a guy that was a long-time video videographer and friend of the band named Chris Habib, and that was a re another real like layered studio creation. You know, we did some of that kind of stuff for specific releases that were not the kind of thing you would have heard from Sonic Youth on any other kind of release. We didn't put that stuff on our own records or even on the SYR records in particular. But every once in a while, we did something like that. Yeah. That was something yeah. concocted in the studio for a specific purpose. Yeah, and you know, like. In any day that you experience, you have conversations that are fun or or you have a serious conversation yeah. and those would happen in the in the same session for us. Yeah, I think just often the fun stuff wasn't released, you know, until, you know, maybe like Chaconi Youth happened yeah, yeah, and there yeah. was a lot of humor in that release. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all. Master Dick. I, Master Dick. Master Dick. I, don't, <laughs> I don't mean to be reductive, obviously, but when we're talking about eras, like I think, Lee, you're correct. Sonic Youth seems to have existed uh, in kind of decade, 
chunks like it was a different band for each decade it existed um which brings me to a, a conversation i had a few months ago with a, a guy he was maybe five or ten years older than me and i was telling him this bender i was on about sonic youth and i told him that a key album for me was and currently still is washing machine and his response was washing machine seriously like clearly an evolve <laughs> sister guy you know and i was like no i lo- i love it but i think everyone who saw the band when you see a band for the first time, that's kind of your era. Like that's for me with Dylan. I started seeing Bob Dylan in like 98 or something like that. So when mm-hmm. people are like, what's your favorite records? So I'm like, ah, time out of mind and love and theft. And they're like, what, what are you talking about? What are the sixties? I'm like, no, sorry. I think those are the best. Anyway. So my point is everyone has their favorite era. I've tried to skirt around this question with both of you a few different ways, but I'm going to try one more time before we wrap this up. Do you have particular eras that are sentimental or creatively important to you in this band? And again, Steve's going to defer. He's going to say no. He's not going to remember the decades well enough. And <laughs> no, doesn't wanna no you're them. wrong. <laughs> I'm wrong? Okay. Let me, let no, me hear. Of, of course the 80s were, were you know, mega important for me. Um, I was a fan of the band. I joined the group. You know, we... We flew to Europe. I had never even been in a in an airplane. You know, it's 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 a, it's an amazing era. Right. You know, right. and you know, and and the nineties, uh, like Lee mentioned, you know, signing to a major label and touring with Neil Young. I mean, there's there's amazing stuff going on. You know, maybe in the two thousands, you weren't as surprised by the events going on. It was more just like a, a day in the life, if we must. You know, so. So that's why it d- doesn't have as big of an impact on me, maybe. But it's still, I can I can divide it up in a chunk if you want. No, I, and the thing that I'm thinking about with, with the band in the 90s, uh, Steve, is that you became celebrities. I was watching, and whether you liked it or not, like you had to you had to manage that part of it too, I think. Like you were personalities on TV. Like a week ago, I watched, I've, re- I've watched a billion times, but I watched you guys doing uh, 100% on Letterman, on Late Night with David Letterman, which was, mm-hmm. which meant you had to jam with the band. That was the, the rule at the time. Yeah. yeah. And so that yes. to me must, that was, I don't know if you remember that vividly in any particular way. Of course we do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course we do. And, you know, and we spoke with Neil Young the, the night before we went to, to film that segment. And we were concerned that he was going to let only half of the band perform. And uh, and and Neil like got close to us and said, "You just tell them that um, that I've taken you under my wing, and you know you should all be on stage or whatever." You know, it's like we were actually concerned about you know being on Letterman and what were they going to do to us? How were we going to present the group? Yeah, you know? Uncle Neil to the rescue as always. Uh, I appreciate that story, <laughs> uh, Lee. Uh, I don't know if you want to follow up on the Letterman stuff or anything else, but uh, again, any era stick out for you as a, a founding member of the band? Well, was that the first time we played Letterman? It wasn't, was it? 100%? So that would have been for... Did you I do just it re- for, for Goo or something? Or would you have done it for anything before that? I don't know. I feel like we probably played before, but maybe it was the first time. But I feel I felt like when we did 100% on Letterman, we'd already met him a couple times and you know shook hands with him in the hallway in that way that you do. You only see him for like a second before the show. But I do remember that in particular because you know that's the song where Thurston and I play with the drumsticks at one point. And um, Letterman is a big baseball fan. 
and there was a baseball bat hanging around and we were like, okay, I'm, I, I said like, I'm going to use the baseball bat. And I just remember looking over at him while we were doing that. And like, he was freaking out. He was just like, it, it boggled his mind that I was playing with this baseball bat. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. There's uh, those. And, and you know, in the end, we really enjoyed having Paul Schaefer and which Hiram or whoever else played, played with us. Uh, it was a strange experience for us and they didn't, I don't believe they tried to only have some of us on stage when we actually got there. Was Anton, no, all, was Anton Fig playing drums, Steve? I can't remember off he, the top of my head. He was. Yeah. He was. And I gave him a... <laughs> I gave him drum direction for this tune, uh, 100%. <laughs> and I said, play it really moronic. <laughs> and, and, and he looked at me like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's so, not a drum chart. You know, just like, this song is so moronic. simple. <laughs> well, it's a magical. I encourage people, uh, as much as you can encourage people to go to YouTube these days, go to YouTube and find this amazing yeah. performance. But Lee, any other particular um, time frame, if you will, like this one well, or any others? You know, certainly the first two decades really stand out as being these really evolutionary decades. The first one, you know, from starting with Thurston and Kim, we were really immersed in this early 80s downtown scene coming out of new wave and no wave, you know, talking heads and teenage Jesus yeah. and contortions and Glenn Branca and Reese Chatham, all this insane stuff was happening in New York. And the whole first half of that decade really was about New York City and establishing who we were and getting this kind of language between the three of us and going through drummers, Richard Edson and Bob Bird and a few others before finally settling on Steve. And, you know, that decade culminates with Daydream Nation. Yeah. And then the Whitey album just tips over into the next one practically. And, you know, so those two things together is the band really flexing their muscle at that point, you know, going from the, the, this daydream nation kind of culminating culmination of our comp compositional language at that point, getting these long, crazy structures together. And then, you know, doing something completely different. The Whitey album is really the only time we ever went in the studio with no pre-planning, no rehearsals or anything, and just started making stuff up and playing with drum machines and stuff. And, yeah. you know, what's, what we thought was going to be a hip-hop record turned into like a, a Krautrock record. <laughs> and, and then the, 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 the 90s were, you know, aside from the whole Nirvana thing, it was like growing into this industry that we'd only up till then read about and dream, mm -hmm. you know, had dreams about from reading about all of our favorite artists that were on major labels and playing arenas and all this crazy stuff, going to meetings at record company offices and whatnot. And, you know, we always felt a little bit like spies in that world, but it was a world that totally fascinated us. So, you know, sitting down to dinner with Ahmet Erdogan and and, you know, people like that, Herb Albert and, and, you know, the, the majors from David Geffen, you know, it was just like, it was feeding our ravenous, like pop culture consumption sure. in this amazing yeah. way. And, and then getting, you know, getting to experience all that stuff, touring with Neil, touring on tour buses and all that stuff that all of our peers from the eighties, you know, never, never had a, a, an idea that could happen to them. They were, they were touring in vans, which is how we started. So anyway, yeah. those two decades yeah. were really significant in a lot yeah. of ways. And and the the last decade was 
expansive in a bunch of other ways that were, you know, sometimes extracurricular and, you know, other stuff was happening for us in that decade. They were, they were all pretty significant to me. Well, th- this one that's covered in this, uh, with this release is hugely significant to me. And so mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for it. And it, it really captures the different vibes of the band in a way. Uh, for those who haven't heard it quite yet, it's, uh, ostensibly wordless. Kim, is that the, the, the jam you were referring to earlier between Steve and Kim? That's the one where she's kind of sort of. She's vocalizing on that one. And I, I don't, can't yeah. remember if those vocals were part of the, the live thing or something she did later in the studio. Love. I don't know if yeah. you remember. Steve. Live. That was part of the yeah. live performance. Yeah. Or live recording. They, yeah. They yeah. sound live. They sound the way a singer might sound if they were wrapping their head around a, a vocal melody with lyrics to come later or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's really fantastic. So, uh, to wrap this up, uh, we'll, I'll ask for sort of, uh, housekeeping stuff about where people can learn more about this stuff and, and you guys, if you like, uh, in a second. But I always like to take a, an opportunity to ask about future plans. Um, in this case, you mentioned the washing machine thing. Uh, I assume the reissue for Sonic Youth, uh, but I assume that's maybe years away, given all the vinyl pressing plant stuff and other. Exactly. Things. Who knows? Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. So, and there's other stuff you mentioned. Oh, what did was it? Sister was the other one you mentioned there, Lee. Is that? We, we, there's there, there's a sister compilation put together that we've got to finish off at some point. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's Sonic Youth stuff. I assume. Is that's it for uh, you guys? Just very uh, time in a timely way, released two live albums to support. What, what was the organization that it went to support? Steve, do you remember? Uh, Fund Texas Choice. Uh, right, and those are great. I bought the. Hey guys, I bought those. I bought them excellent. and I downloaded them, and they're great. I love them. I love the set list. It's fantastic. Thanks. Thanks. Um, Both so, of them were were Texas concerts also. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was great. For those who don't know, those were in support of the fight uh, to protect abortion rights in Texas based on what was going on down there, fundraising stuff. I didn't want to mangle that. I knew that, but I didn't want to I didn't have it at the ready. Thank you for uh, right. clarifying that. I appreciate it. So, yeah, future plans. Let's uh I want to go to Steve about Sonic Youth stuff first and then uh if there's anything else going on in your lives that you want to share whether your own musical pursuits or other projects you want to talk about please do but Steve is there more Sonic Youth activity beyond uh in out in at this point There is but um other than washing machine there's not too much I'd like to elaborate on sure, right now um cuz some of this stuff just takes so long uh um it kind of it's some of it's in the kettle. It's boiling or getting to boil, and and uh, and Lee and I are kind of nurturing th- this stuff uh, for for when it will will happen. But um, right now we seem to be focused on this washing machine box the most. Okay. And on my own um, during the the lockdown, I finished an album that I started pre COVID with a singer uh, Emma Tricka, and that's coming out on Bella Union sometime this year. And of course with the vinyl. Uh, issues. I don't know exactly when, but um, but that's a record uh, that we were we were working on before these times, and oh. finally was able to finish it in the last year. Congratulations! That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I can't, yeah, it was I can't a fun thing. To, can't wait to hear that. Before I move on to Lee, I just want to make sure of something because I'm sure other listeners are wondering. You're not cooking your music, are you? 
Because that's you can't put it out that way. You can't cook it in a pot. It'll all melt. Anyway, sorry, that's a little... Talk to Tony Conrad about that. <laughs> he would pickle his film like you pickle vegetables. Right, and there you go, see? Belt ball jars full of uh, his uh, 30, you know, his 16 millimeter films. Shows what I know. I didn't realize you could cook your food, music. Sorry about that. Uh, no. no, Lee, similar question. Uh, what's on the horizon for you uh, having just released in Virus Times? Uh, congrats again on that. Uh, what, what else is coming up? Yeah, thanks. You know, I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm taking, you know, this pandemic has been a very confusing time. And, and uh, I, I keep saying I want to come out of it with a bunch of different things to do. So I, I've so far, I've back in October, when things seem to be lightening up a little bit, I did a, a few concerts. Uh, I did six or seven shows, each one completely different with completely different collaborators. And it, it felt good to sort of stretch and do a bunch of different things. And in general, it felt good to indeed to play a concert after feeling trepidatious about it i don't know i've been writing music again and kind of wondering what i want the next step to be and looking around and you know seeing what different people are doing and you know wondering what i want to be doing basically yeah. you know do i want to be on big stages and playing in front of huge crowds or i mean that's not likely to happen so i don't really have to worry about it but you know it's just it's just just wondering really what uh what i want to see happen okay. for going yeah. forward creatively wise uh you know and i'm doing visual art and some writing projects and other things but nothing immediately to talk about right now okay. except Fair just enough. kind of stockpiling potential Totally understandable given the times. And as, as I alluded yeah. to, you just released a record. So no rush yeah. from us. You Lee. know what I did want to say <laughs> to, to what you were saying earlier? I always loved about our fans that like, if you took 20 different people that came up to you and told you what their favorite record was, it was all over the map yeah. from confusion and bad moon to people that loved Murray Street and Sonic Nurse or, or washing machine, you know, uh, and, to me, that was always the sign of a certain kind of success that, that, uh, that, that it wasn't, you know, some, some artists, it's always like there's one record and you point to that's the great record that they made. But I always loved that fans uh, really revered all these different periods in our work the same way that, you know, we do with Neil or Dylan or, yeah. or the Stones or who, whoever it is, Joni. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I will say, uh, just to expand upon what I was saying earlier about my, uh, Sonic Youth chronological bender, I just hadn't occurred to me as I was, again, making sandwiches, cutting up fruits and vegetables for the kids. I had the EP on, and then the next night or whenever I had Confusionist Sex on, and uh the kids weren't there. Don't worry. I didn't have to explain anything to them. But they were uh, – I, I had them on, and I was like, good Lord, they knew who they were. Like almost from the beginning, the core of this band. Really? I'd, it never occurred to me before because I hadn't revisited some of that material. As you can tell from where I'm coming from, like I've listened to all of it, but not in a concentrated way where I'm like, and also in a way where I was, like I said, I was making food and, and it was on and I, it just struck me. Holy shit. Like they would sing a certain way that they always did. They, they attacked songs totally different, obviously, than what we're talking about today or the end of the band, the eternal, yeah. but also not. So I just want to say, like, I was heartened to know that the band in its in those iterations with you, Thurston and Kim in particular, obviously, Lee, it was there. Like, I, I don't know how else to put it. I, I know you might have a different perspective uh, having gone through everything you went through. But I'm just saying that occurred to me in a way that it hadn't in years so yeah, that's a nice observation. Okay, good. That's all you had to say. Yeah, I just want you to tell me I'm right. 
<laughs> just some validation. No, I mean, I think we were ourselves from the very beginning, and that's what kept the band strong. And, you know, something clicked early on, and, and certainly when Steve joined, it really clicked and, and fell into place in a permanent way. And, you know, we weren't ever trying to be anything we weren't or yeah. any people that we yeah. weren't. We were who we were, and it just worked. You know? And that's what I'm getting at. You knew who you were, and you were who you were pretty much. Like, obviously... I'm saying like you could get poppier sometimes, but the noise and the sure. and the attack and the attitude is there on those first few releases in a way that I just it surprised me as I was going through it. Anyway, enough about me and my listening habits and the lunch I make for my children. Um, St- Steve, if people yes, want to learn more about uh, In Out In or anything else Sonic Youth related, I think you know this. We talked about it briefly. I ordered a few things off of the Bandcamp, so I would like to give that a plug. That's a place people can go to yeah. get, get stuff, right? Definitely. Definitely. Uh, most everything is there. The new record is actually on Corey's site, which is three-lobed on uh, Bandcamp. But yeah, you can find most of our catalog th- there. Um, most of the stuff that we actually manufacture. Yes. Uh, the Geffen years, th- that um, is having its own supply chain issues, and that fans would have to find uh, at their favorite indie record store i guess right and three loved will be physical i just have a digital right now can you will it be on vinyl and oh yeah yeah Yeah, it's a it's an lp it's a cd it's a cassette um great okay so cassettes are coming back (laughs) we're having big success lately selling cassettes yes that's a thing and then now the everyone everyone's every week there's an article about cds are coming back no. <laughs> you know, I, I really? in my bender, this has been on my desk. Not in my house, man. This this has been on my desk. Oh. This is SYR8 yeah. uh, that yeah. I'm showing Lee and Steve for those listening. And yep. it's, that's correct. one of the few that did not come out on vinyl because yes. of length issues. It's too long for vinyl. I always regretted that that one didn't complete the vinyl uh, set. There's a couple of records. I have discovered because I had a bunch of these things, but I just these are this is me tracking everything down. You can see it's still sealed. I don't have a CD player in the goddamn house. Uh, I got to put it in my minivan to listen to it, which will be fun for the family, I bet. Anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. So it, there's a couple, I think, that are just on CD. Is that right in the SYR? I think there's two. Yeah. Yeah. yeah number six is oh, also. Yeah. yeah. And number six. Yeah. Also a long, a long jammer. Yeah. So I've got everything else on vinyl except for these two. And I didn't have, I just didn't have this. So I got it and it's here and it's great. And I, I think I'll find out. I'll unseal it. I don't want to be a liar. I'm sure it's great, gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> I'll check it out soon. Okay. Uh, Lee, if people want to learn more about you, where should they go uh, on the internet? Um, well, I have a website, LeeRonaldo.com. It's kind of affiliated with the Sonic Youth website, and both of them are half down at the moment, or mine is all the way down through to oh. some technical issues. So uh, that's the place. But, you know, Mute Records is my record company these days. They've got stuff and you know, there, I think anybody that searches out there can find tons of stuff on okay. any of us or on Sonic Youth if they want. Right. And Steve, did we, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. We said the band camp anywhere else, sonicyouth.com, probably. It, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just curious. No, sonicyouth.com is the place. It's also yeah. kind of uh, some of the aspects of it are down at the moment. Usually okay. our website is pretty, a pretty deep place to go for okay. tons of info. Fair enough. All right. Well, I appreciate all of this info. I hope people go and search this stuff out. Uh, normally, we go out on a song from a release. So if anyone can think of a song that we could go out on uh, from it, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this to Steve. Lee, you have veto power. We did this once before, I think, when Raul and you, I had, to, I had a similar dynamic. Oh, yeah. Steve, can yeah. you 
pick a piece. And if, if Lee vetoes it, we have to have I a won't. debate. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Can you pick a piece for us to go out on, Steve? Oh, yeah. This is uh, the most recent chart topper from Sonic Youth called <laughs> Social Static. Oh my God! Really? Oh my God. Okay, we're I gonna go with social you're static. That one. Sure? I almost will veto it. I, <laughs> that's the one you want to go out on, Lee. What are your thoughts? I'm I'm trepidatious as the host of the show. I think show. that would have been my number five of the five of them, just in terms of your radio listening audience. Not that I don't like the, the piece, um, but I'm willing to go with it. What the hell? Are we final, Steve? This is your final call. Is this what you want people to hear? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Sonic Youth with Social Static, uh, Steve, Shelley, Lee Ronaldo. Uh, I can't tell you how meaningful this is for me to have you both on this uh, little podcast of mine. So thank you both very much for everything you've done and do. And I wish you the best of luck. And I hope we talk soon. Our pleasure. And always nice to speak with you, Vish. Thanks, Vish.
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I must tell you, it's uh, still a, such a joy and a pleasure and an honor to have a show where I can talk to Sonic Youth people about Sonic Youth. It, it never gets old for me. This is really fun. Uh, so I just wanted to say that. Why am I getting so emotional? Well, it's emotional. It's emotional for me. I just want to say thanks again to Lee Ronaldo and Steve Shelley of Sonic Youth for appearing on this, the 673. Third, why do I always forget this at the end of the... Yeah, I'm just looking something up. 673rd episode of Creative Control. Hey, if you made 673 things, you'd have trouble keeping track of them too, buddy. Anyway, yeah, thanks to Lee and Steve for appearing on the 673rd episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcast, pretty much, except for that one place, which I think you might know about already. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for on any of those platforms or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter which did go out in the month of March I think was it March? yeah I put it out in March 2022 I did it it's been a while sorry anyway if you want to learn about all that stuff please visit my website vishkana.com and like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at vishkana also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. That is the primary source of consistent income for this show. It's very modest. We have some modest advertising. We have some modest in-kind advertising, which I'll tell you about later. But really, all this free stuff that is uh, on the podcast feed uh, comes to you from me. And uh, it's really appreciated when people think, you know what? I should give this guy a little bit of money for all this hard work he does. It's it's very fl- it's nice of you and kind of you in this in this day and age to do that. So thank you. $6 or more uh, a month grants you access to exclusive content uh, from uh, new episodes and older episodes. There is actually exclusive content for Sonic Youth fans uh, based on this episode. An extended chat about the Nardwar situation that began... The conversation started abruptly and kind of ends abruptly, but it's... Just uh, hearing Lee and Steve's take on... Uh, Lee heard there's controversy. People are mad at Sonic Youth about their interactions with Nardwar, and we had an impromptu chat about it, and that's on the Patreon, uh, or will be if it's not already. So anyway, that's the kind of stuff you get. And then older stuff, too, from my audio archives. And also, if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, just message me on Patreon, and I'll get you one while supplies last. And again, doesn't have to be $6, but it, it helps. $6 or more gets you that access to that exclusive content, but it could be any amount you want. So there's that. Patreon.com slash creative control. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about and place special orders at by their website, blackbird.ca. 
and also to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on the show. Jim is based in Toronto. You can learn more about Jim and his work and very, very sporadic live appearances at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Lee and Steve of Sonic Youth. I hope you enjoyed it and will consider sticking with the show. If you're new to the show, subscribing to the podcast or following it and telling your friends about it and asking them to do the same things that you do to engage with this show, it means the world. What can I say? Thank you so much. And I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.